We're turning to John chapter 13 this morning. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, often throughout the various Gospels, they would try to take Jesus And then he would slip out of their midst and it would say, because his hour was not yet come. But now that hour has come. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So the end of his three and a half year ministry is winding down. For three years, these men had walked with him, heard him preach many discourses and speak many parables and truths. And now that time has come is drawing to an end. So what would he say to all these disciples who had been with him for so long? Well, he's fixing to tell us in the next few chapters what he's going to share with these disciples who had been with him all this time, and not only with them, but with us also as his church, his disciples. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself, after that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel, wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do Thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. You know, Peter was a man of extremes. And sometimes I find myself also being a person of extremes. So here he says, You will never for eternity wash my feet. But then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You have no fellowship with me. Then he jumps to the other extreme. Well, Lord, don't only just wash my feet, wash my head, wash me all over. (laughs) Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed, Needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. 
and ye are clean, but not all. And you know who the not all he's referring to, right? Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now that seems pretty plain, doesn't it? And so I'm thankful. Though this is not an ordinance of the church, it is a practice of our church. And it's a wonderful practice. Why is it a wonderful practice? Because Jesus set the example. And he goes on to say, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, what's the word? Happy are ye if you do them. And we found that to be true here, haven't we? Every time we have a communion service, the joy and the love and the happiness that flows here is just, it's hard to explain to people who haven't experienced that here. And in other churches, no doubt, where they practice this Wonderful practice. And so Jesus gave us a wonderful example. Do you know what the disciples often argued about as they walked along the way? Who was going to be the greatest among them in the kingdom of God? Do you know what the highest rank in the kingdom is today? It's servant. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then you'll be the servant of all. And that's what Jesus did. He left all the royalty of heaven and came to earth as a what? As a servant. He was the greatest. He is a servant king today because he's still ministering to his people even as he sits in glory Jesus will always be the servant king. And if you want to magnify Jesus today, then you will aspire not to be the greatest, but to be the lowest. What an example of humble, loving servants that the master would wash their feet. That he would encourage his people. If you want to find the pathway to true happiness, be a servant. Be at one another's feet. If we can wash one another's feet, is there anything we couldn't do for one another? No. So what an example. As he's getting ready to leave this world, he washes their feet. 
shows them humble, loving service in action. And that's how we're to live our life, as a humble, loving servant to others. Well, he comes on down. He says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And so as he goes through here, he brings out, Two various things that's going to take place. Judas is going to betray him. And Peter is going to deny him. So we come to chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So there were a lot of reasons for their hearts. To be troubled. Number one was, Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father. That would be enough to cause all of our hearts to be filled with trouble. Jesus was leaving. The second was, one of the twelve was going to betray Him. And then Peter, that very night, was going to deny him. Many things to trouble the heart. But you know, as we look around us today, there's also many things that trouble our hearts. And the message to Jesus, of Jesus, to his disciples, is the same message to his followers today. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God who you cannot see, believe also in me. You can see me now, but a short time later, you're not going to be able to see me except by the eye of faith. You will see me. You will understand these things. So as their hearts are troubled, what does he do? He points them to the Father and to the Father's house. And this is what he says. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. You know, that's created a longing in all of our souls like Sister Donna has already expressed this morning. How many times when this world is pressing in on us and our hearts are troubled, do we not look up with longing for the Father's house and the many mansions and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to receive us unto Himself, that where He is will be forever. 
This world is a troubling place. These disciples would live to be beaten, to be hounded out, and to see many more troubling things. As the early first century church, many of them would be burned at the stake nightly in the gardens of Nero. Many things to trouble from this world. But let's read on down a little bit. Thomas. Well, verse 4. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Isn't that wonderful? You want to know the way to heaven? His name is Jesus. He's been the way all along. He was the way for Adam and Eve. He was the way for Abel. He was the way for Abraham. He's the way for all the Old Testament saints. He's the way for all the New Testament saints. You cannot get to heaven without Jesus Christ. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If he had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And that is a blessing, Brother Bill, that our prayers don't fall on deaf ears. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now listen to what he says in verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world might receive, cannot receive. Whom the world cannot receive, because... It seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you 
and shall be in you. One of the greatest blessings we have today as believers in Jesus Christ is the presence of the Comforter that abides with us forever. And we see Him and we know Him because He dwells with us forever. We know Him through the Word. I can't see Him with my physical eyes, but Romans 8 tells us we know He's in us because of the spirit of adoption that He is, and He manifests Himself to His children. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Now what day is that? At that day. More than likely... Since the context here is the Holy Spirit, that day is going to be when the Holy Spirit comes in the full realization of His power to the church. And when did that happen? It happened at Pentecost. And so all these disciples heard these things for three and a half years, and much of it went over their heads. They didn't have a clue what Jesus would say in half of the time, until the Holy Spirit came. And when the Spirit came, brother, He gave these men an understanding and an enlightenment that they could put together all that Jesus had said and taught, and then it began to make sense. And then they could preach the risen Christ with power of the Holy Spirit. And it changed the world. As it says in the 17th chapter of Acts, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. Isn't that amazing? That the Holy Spirit still has the power through men preaching Jesus to turn this world Upside down. Oh, I tell you, we need Him to turn this world upside down now. We need for Him to sweep through Washington, D.C. and begin to change hearts and bring them to the feet of Jesus so that all of the wicked there might come to know the living Lord. And I tell you, if they don't know Him here, they'll know Him one day. As they bend the knee and they say with their tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord. We need the power of the Holy Ghost today. I hope we'll pray for that more and more on our Wednesday nights, that He'll change this this nation we live in. (coughs) He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. And will manifest myself to him. That word manifest means to reveal. I'll reveal myself to him. How does Jesus reveal himself to us? Well, he comes through the power of his word. He comes through the power of his spirit. And sometimes 
It's not in a mighty way. You know, that's what Elijah found out when he ran from Jezebel. And he went to the Mount of God. And he got in that cave. And brother, there was a tempest outside that rent the rocks. But God was not in that. Something else came up, but God was not in that. And then he heard a still, small voice. And God was the still, small voice. And you know, that's what happens to us sometimes. We're sitting outside, maybe out on our back porch, and we're drinking our morning coffee, and we're talking to God, and God just begins to show us some sweet and wonderful things, and He comes and visits with our heart. It's sort of an immaterial way, but He's revealing Himself to us. And those are sweet times. He reveals Himself. He manifests Himself to us. Judah saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And so when we get happy in the Lord and fellowship with him, we're experiencing what he's saying right here. And you know, you don't have to have anybody around to go through this. You can be alone with God, and He is revealing and manifesting Himself to you. Why? Because you love to keep His commandments. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name... He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And that came more at Pentecost and the days following as Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and he began to bring all these things to the remembrance of the apostles and bless God. They pinned them down so that we could have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thank you, Lord. And then he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he says again what he said in the first verse. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. But notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, my peace I'm giving to you. It's not the world's peace, it's my peace. And I want you to think about this peace that Jesus had when he went through some of the most troubling outward conflicts where men hated and despised him and were devising many ways To put him to death. And yet Jesus sailed through it all. With such an unruffled peace. Within his heart. Within his life. That no conflict. Brought towards him by any man. Or any group of men or devils. Could disturb that peace. That Jesus had. He says that peace I'm giving to you. There is no conflict today. 
There is nothing that troubles men's hearts today that you cannot pass through. And the peace that Jesus has given us not keep our heart in such a tranquil and restful place. That's the legacy of the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ that he gives us that the world cannot give. The world does not have that kind of peace. It's only found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Those are wonderful words to a group of men who followed him all these years. And it's wonderful encouragement to disciples today. Well, let's turn to Acts 16. Verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. You know, that very well could still be coming in our day. As somebody prayed this morning, we don't know what's coming down the pike. But we know this, whatever it is, we have a peace that will meet it head on and keep us tranquil and at rest in our heart, no matter what it is. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for me that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Their hearts were just too sorrowful. Weighed down in burdens, because he said he was going away. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine 
and shall show it unto you. So you know those are interesting verses. The Holy Spirit is coming and He is not going to glorify Himself. The Spirit is not here to glorify Himself. The Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus Christ. And when you hear people talking today how about the Spirit's magnifying Himself, we know that's not true. Because He says here that the Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus Christ. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Well, Lord, we need to be shown more and more of the glories of Jesus Christ. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again a little while and ye shall see me. Because I go to the Father. Now those little whiles to us seem like they stretch out for an awful long time. But he says it's a little while. They said therefore what is this that he saith a little while? Well we're in good company. (laughs) We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto him, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, in labor, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world, and ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask, the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. So these are great encouragements to those who pray. It's a wonderful encouragement to know that on our Wednesday night prayer times, he says, ask, and ye shall receive. And what a blessing that is. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, 
because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee, By this we believe, that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. So again, he encourages these disciples who have been with him for three and a half years, that the peace that they were going to experience was his own peace. My peace I give unto you. In the world ye shall have tribulation. You shall have tribulation. You're going to have such pressure in the world that it will burden you down and cause much anguish of heart. We're going to experience tribulation in this world. But here's the wonderful blessing. It doesn't matter what the tribulation is. It doesn't matter what the pressure is. It does not matter what causes the anguish We have something that offsets it. And it is the wonderful peace that Jesus gives us that's His own peace. That keeps our hearts no matter what we pass through. Now that's the legacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know some people that's got a lot of money, they may leave their children a legacy. Well, Jesus had all things given into His hand, and He left you a legacy. His peace that passes all understanding. His peace that no matter what comes against us, will carry us through it with restful and tranquil hearts. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world... Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. You know, this word cheer has kind of a double meaning. If you look it up in Strong's, the first meaning is courage. Have courage. You know, we need courage. There's a lot of things in this world that can scare us to death. Give us such fear that it almost paralyzes us. That's real fear. And you know, back in Deuteronomy, God was trying to build an army of His people and He told them in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8, or 20, I think it's 28. 
28.8, he says, oh, maybe it is 28.8. I can't even read my own writing. Yeah, 28.8. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his. You know, we're soldiers of the cross today, and we need to see courage in one another. Because if we don't see courage acted out among ourselves, what's going to happen? We're going to get so scared we'll run and hide somewhere. You know, I looked up the word courage in the New Testament and it was only mentioned one time. Acts chapter 28 and verse 15. This is Paul. He had appealed to Caesar. And to Caesar he went. And boy, what a voyage it was. You think you've had some bad voyages on some of these uh, ocean liners that you get out on cruises? His was wrecked. And they wound up on an island where a venomous beast came out of the wood as they were putting it on the fire and bit him. But he didn't die because of God's power to protect him. And so what a voyage he had. And it says... Verse 12, And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium, and after one day the south wind blew. And we came the next day to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence, Rome was the destination. Rome was where Nero was. Nero was a wicked king, an ungodly king, and that's where he was headed. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took what? Courage. He took courage. And you know, that's what happens with us when we're around God's people and their desire is to fellowship and to encourage and to pray and to build one another up, it gives us courage. And so that courage helped him. He was a man. He, he, God blessed him to be a strong man, a mighty man in, in, in his service. And yet when you think about standing before Nero, you know it's got to give you some degree of trepidation. And yet now his heart has been encouraged. He's got a shot in the arm. He's ready to go the rest of the way and give his testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ before one of the most wicked men in all the world. Courage. We need it. And then the other meaning of this word is cheer. Cheer. It means to make or become less miserable. And so Jesus often would say to them, be of good cheer. 
Be of good cheer. Let your hearts be lifted up. You need to be able to joy and to rejoice in me. Don't let the world drag you down, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you know this morning that in Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer? You're an overcomer. And that's exactly what the Apostle John could write. And this is the Apostle John who wrote what we've been reading this morning. The one who laid his head on the breast of Jesus at supper. He says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. You know, Jesus Christ, has made us victorious in Him. He's made us conquerors. He's made us overcomers. And so John builds on that thought in 1 John 5. And he says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him, that begat, loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And so John says, we are going to be overcomers. If we have been born of God... We are going to love God and His people. Now that's what he says in the third chapter and the 14th verse. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. Then he says in chapter 4 and verse 20, If a man say, I love God... And hateth his brother. He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother. Whom he hath seen. How can he love God. Whom he hath not seen. And so if we have been born of God. We have been born to love. Not only God but our brothers and sisters as well. Then he says in verses 4 and 5, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And so your first birth, your first birth, Being born into this world, you were born into sin. Your first birth made you a loser. But your second birth makes you a winner in Jesus Christ. So your second birth is something that the Apostle Paul describes there in Romans chapter 8 when he says in verse 37... 
Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him that loved us. And so we are more than conquerors. I looked that little word more than up this morning. And it means to vanquish beyond. To vanquish beyond. And we are going to vanquish beyond this world. We're vanquishing now in this world through Jesus Christ and His Word. When this world ends, we'll enter into heaven more than conquerors. Vanquishing Beyond. And so when we are born of God, he says, in this latter part of this First John, chapter, verse 6 of chapter 5, down to verse 13, he talks about the assurance we have when we are born of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, the, that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Spirit hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye can hope that you have eternal life. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? That you may know that you have eternal life. You can know you are bound for heaven because the Apostle John says that's a reality. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything in him, let's see, ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So when we're born of God, we talk to our Heavenly Father in prayer and receive from him what we need because of what James says in James chapter 1 and verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift 
cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So God gives his children all these wonderful, good, and perfect gifts in answer to their prayers. And lastly, verse 18, he says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come. And so here we have the wicked one in the world. And the whole world lies in wickedness. But if we have been born of God, we have been born secure. So that Satan cannot harm us in any way. Born secure in the blood and grace of Jesus Christ. And so we have a wonderful legacy. We have a peace that passes all understanding. And we have victory as conquerors and more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ.